family, you're tuning in to the Jimmy Bonds podcast on Philadelphia Radio. Pardon any technical difficulties as we are recording live on the Zoom platform. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lights, camera, action. Some people thought I quit and I ain't giving satisfaction. From a different era, writing rhymes up on napkins. What you had to say was more important, man, than trapping. Yeah, I'm talking back and speaking the contemporary. What's good, family? And welcome to another episode of Jimmy Bond's podcast on Philadelphia Radio. This episode is sponsored by Sonic Artist Cafe. I'm your host, Jimmy Bonds, along with my co-host, Ty. T.Y., what's good, Ty? How you feeling? All good in the neighborhood, live from Sonic Artist Cafe. Live from Sonic Artist Cafe. And you know I can't forget my other co-host, the lovely Miss T with the T. What's up, T? How you doing? I'm good, Jimmy. How about yourself? I'm doing good, Mama. I'm doing good. And you know I can't forget my other co-host, the lovely Miss T. Lovely Miss Lucy. My apologies. Lucy, Lucy. What's up, Lou? What's up, Jimmy? How are you? I'm feeling good. How about y'all? Oh, we, we're doing great. We're doing great. Remember, family, you call us with your comments and questions at 844-844-1244. Again, that's 844-844-1244. You can also email us at jimmybondspodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's jimmybondspodcast at gmail.com. It's J-I-W-M-Y-B-O-N-D-S podcast at gmail.com. Also, family, remember, you can follow us on Instagram at Jimmy Bonds Podcast, on Twitter at Podcast Bonds, and make sure you join the Jimmy Bond Podcast Facebook group. Let's join the Facebook group. Let's continue to open the dialogue. Moving right along, family, tonight, 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 we have a special guest, especially here in the Sonic Artist Cafe world of, or live from the great studio we're sitting in right now, family. We have a special guest. This is our Artist Spotlight series. Um, I think our guest is very... She was singing for us before, and you know, sometimes you hear people singing, just like, oh, they can sing. Like, no, nah, Miss Cat got a voice on her family. She is phenomenal. She is outstanding. She has an extensive track record. Her career is marvelous, and it continues to grow every day. Let me give you a little background on it and make sure everybody knows who she is. Kathleen Cat Fontaine Pratis was born in Chester, PA. She started out singing at a very young age. She was the captain of a majorette at the Chester High School marching band, and then she went on to become, become crowned queen, Miss Black Chester in 1974. Soon after, she moved up the ranks, and she was in the Philadelphia music scene, working with the likes of Norman Harris, the Tramps, and Ron Tyson from The Temptations, just to name a few. She has shared the stage with the greats of Casey and the Sunshine Band, Sister Sledge, Gloria Gaynor, and the late greats B.B. King and Ray Charles. She was the lead singer at South Soul Recording Group, where she sang a song, As Long As You Love Me, which went number five on the Billboard charts. Later in her career, she seized the opportunity to take her talents overseas, and she landed in the Netherlands, where she worked as a music teacher and a music director for over a decade. She is a songwriter, a composer, a producer, a vocalist, a mom, and a wife. And I, for me, I call her all-around talent. I like to describe her as tenacious, appealing, creative, determined, enthusiastic, persistent, and uplifting. Ladies and gentlemen, please give it up for Miss Kathleen Cat. Look Fontaine at that smile. Prattis. Look at that smile. Yes, family. Yes. <laughs> Family, yes, <laughs> wow. yes, 
Yes. Wow. Welcome to the show here at Sonic Artist Cafe, Jimmy Bond's podcast, Philadelphia Radio. How are you doing? How are you doing? Thank you. Wow, what an introduction. Thank you so much. Oh, no, you, you earned it. It wasn't like it, it was something I just had to make up. This is what you've done. This is what you've done in your career. Well, there's one thing you left off, and that is that I'm very blessed. I've oh. been exceptionally blessed. Oh, listen, that, that is the truth. That is the truth. Yeah. I mean, after looking at your, after you know, not just reading your bio, but looking at your extensive work that you've done over years, not just here in Philly, but worldwide, um, it's not being like taken back. Oh, I was taken back by it. I was really just intrigued by your story. Wow. Because when we first talked, you said you shared a lot with me about how, when you were younger, how you did things yourself at a young oh, yeah. age, how you, how you pretty much got bands together at a young age, and you hit these clubs at a young age to perform <laughs> and do your thing. So, you know, share with us a little bit about that if you can. Well, I think um, I was about eight years old when I, um, we all got a spelling list every week in elementary school, and the teacher asked us to do something unique with our spelling list, um, do a crossword puzzle or maybe a word search and I, I've always been very enthusiastic about music, so it was, it was very easy for me to figure out, I'm going to write a song, because there were 20 words in the spelling list, and two of each of the 20 words rhymed at the end. So I thought, oh, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to write a song. So it was given to us, the assignment, on Friday, and we had to have the assignment completed on Monday. And I remember going home and I thought I had heard something about plagiarism. And I thought as an eight-year-old, I think I was in the third grade, that you, I was under the impression if I used somebody else's melody line, that I would get in trouble. So I had to create my own melody line. I knew what a melody line was because we were playing flutophone in school. Chester Upland School District didn't exist then. Then it was just a Chester School District. And we had music in the schools, and all of the students got a flutophone as their first instrument so we could learn to play and learn to read notes on the staff. So I remember going home, and I thought, I've got to come up with a new melody. I've got to create a melody. I've got to write a melody. But I have to do it in my head. So I remember on Friday night, I figured out what melody I wanted to use. I actually took the words from the spelling list. There were 20, and I wrote the song. I think I had one verse, I had a bridge, <laughs> I had a chorus, then I used some of the other words to do another verse and then went back to the chorus, what we call the hook. So uh, I kept singing the melody in my head over and over again, Friday night, all day Saturday, Saturday night. I just could not forget the melody because when I got to school on Monday, I knew at some point the teacher would say, well, can you sing it for us? So got to school on Monday, and she asked a couple of the kids, what did, you, what did you do, Johnny, with your spelling words? I wrote a word search. I did a crossword puzzle. Well, Ms. Craddis, Kathleen, what did you do with your, I wrote a song. <laughs> what do you mean you wrote a song? Yeah, I wrote a song, and I used my own melody because I didn't want to be charged with plagiarism. <laughs> so she asked me, can you stand up and sing it? I said, sure. So I pulled my lyrics out, and uh, I kept saying, I said, you have to wait a minute. So I'm singing the melody in my head. And I said, okay, I got it. And uh, I wish I remembered the song or kept the song. I did not. <laughs> I know, I know, right? I know. <laughs> I've thought about that many times over the years. But um, I said, okay, I'm ready. And she said, okay, go ahead, sing. 
So I sang this song, and the teacher was standing up. She was really mesmerized. She said, you did that all by yourself? And I said, yeah, I, except for the spelling words. They came out of the spelling list. <laughs> so before I knew it, she said, um, all right, I want you to sit down for a minute. I I'm going to leave the room. I'll be right back. And then she brought the music teacher back to the classroom. And she said, Kathleen, can you stand up and do that again? I said, you mean sing the song? She said, yes. I said, okay. So I pulled my lyrics back out. And um, I stood up and I sang the song again. And the music teacher came over and gave me a biggest hug. And I knew I was on to something. <laughs> so next thing I know, she said, come with me. And they took me to the principal's office. They said, all right, do it again. So I sang the lyrics again. I sang the song. And the principal said, oh, my, that's amazing. So you have a seat outside in the waiting So I sat out there outside with the secretary. And next thing I know, the person who was in charge, Ms. Roberts, was in charge of the music department in Chester School District. Ms. Roberts was walking through the door. And she went directly in the principal's office. So now we have the music teacher in the building, the classroom teacher. She called for a, a teacher's aide to go sit with the class. She wanted to be a part of all of this. And Ms. Roberts is in there with the principal. So I got four grown-ups in there talking about me, I assume. And I'm thinking, boy, I hope my mom is not mad at me when I get home. <laughs> I hope everything is going well in there. So they invited me, and they asked me to sing the song again for Miss Roberts. And I sang the song again. And um, afterwards, they asked me to wait out in the, hall, in, the, in the room with the secretary, and I did. And when they came out, the music teacher and Miss Roberts asked me, did I always like music? I said, I've loved music all my life. My mom sings at home. And everybody in the house seems to get so much joy out of hearing my mom sing. And if I could do a little bit of that, <laughs> I'd, I'd like to do some of that. So they said, well, have you ever thought about playing instruments? And I said, yeah, well, we played a flutophone. They said, what other instruments would you like to play? And I was always in love with uh, strings, so I asked for a violin. And I said, if I'm not going to get a violin, then I want a clarinet because I... I had watched some videos of Benny Goodman back in the day, and I just liked that the violin was black. <laughs> so, oh, I get it. I definitely get it. That struck me. <laughs> so be, uh, with, within a few weeks, I got both, a violin and a, uh, I already had a flutophone. I got a violin and I got a clarinet. And I practiced and practiced. It, it was my goal to be the best at whatever I was doing, if it yeah. had something to do with music. Yeah. Cause I was reading the back of album jackets and I remember being very much a fan of classical music. I yeah. like church music. We, I sang in a choir at church. Okay. Um, my sister, my brother, my mom did. And, um, I enjoy church music. I like gospel, but in school, when we had a concert choir, you were singing more of uh, pop music. Yeah. And so I was pretty much classically geared from the beginning. And I liked the sound and um, playing the violin, also classical music. Yeah. I was drawn to it. I, I had a particular love for it. And um, so I remember reading the back of these albums and um, I wanted to know who are these people? I, I, I didn't want them to be anonymous. I wanted to know who they were who and they were. where was the studio? Who were the arrangers? Who were the songwriters? Back then it was different though. It you was. know, like it, it, it wasn't, everything wasn't uh, automated or computerized no, or no. it was, it was, it might not even be analog. It was really pure talent that you had to have in yeah. order to make music back then. Yeah. You know, liner notes all um, day. 
they spelled out a lot of the the people that were busy making the records that we were playing and i thought it was just as important to know who they are yeah um we heard wdas georgie woods back in the day oh, yeah. we i listened to a lot of radio and on sunday louise williams listening to the gospel radio shows and i just always like good music a variety of music and i thought it's not only is it important to hear the records being played on the radio but it's also important to know who these people are definitely and so i used to read liner notes in the backs of albums and i wanted to know where are the studios and some of it was first, I think, from Motown, and then some of the records were coming out of Stax. Yeah. But when I heard Horns and Strings coming out of Philly. Yeah, that was it for you. That was it for me. That I was it done. for you. Even the two track. See? You're a big girl now. Man, them two tracks. Oh, you're you going to stop right there? You're going to stop right there? Really? Lucy, I know you got a question. Go ahead, go ahead, sis. Get your question in. No, my question is, um, Kat, who were like your favorite like musicians, like your muse as you were like transitioning, like as like being a performer and a singer, like who were you listening to that were like your favorite musicians? Well, I started listening to albums because the man that lived a couple of doors from me that was kind of sweet on my mom after my dad and my mom <laughs> broke up. He was sweet on my mom and he used to come over. And I asked, his name was Leroy Johnson. I asked Mr. Leroy, what do you do? Why do you get Gamble and Huff albums that say for promotional use, not for sale? He said, I do lead sheets for them. I didn't have a slightest idea what a lead sheet was, but I, I kind of had a feeling it was important because they were giving him these albums. So uh, I said, really? Um, where is the studio where you pick up these albums? Oh, it's in Center City, Philadelphia. So I said, well, when, when you drive up one day, can you take me up there with you? Because <laughs> I want to meet some of these people whose names I've been reading on the back of albums. There weren't many people in Chester that I could find because as soon as I knew, and I was eight years old, I knew I, this is what I want to do with my life. I want to do this. And I kept asking God, just get me in the room. Just get me in the room. So I can show them that the gifts that you gave me, if Barbara Ingram or Yvette Benton or Carla Benson want to go sit down for a minute, I got this. Y'all can rest for a minute. I got this. <laughs> so I was looking for people to mentor me in Chester. There was a lot of music coming out of Chester at the time, but it was more gospel music then. And uh, I later found out my girlfriend, Robin Maness, Washington, her father plays uh, guitar, and he used to play for some of the uh, groups in the city of Chester. Chester used to be the proving ground for, for Philly musicians used to come here. Did, yeah, yeah. Because we used to be the proving ground. I remember at 13 years old, I decided I wanted to know what it was like to sing harmony with other, uh, with other uh, vocalists. So I went about recruiting some of my friends to sing with me because I didn't want to just have the limelight on me because there's a lot of talent here yeah. always has been yeah so i went to uh i started listening to people who were singing around the school like me i sang every i sang all the time and hazel leggett was one of them and robin maness washington and lafonda price williams i recorded i i, I recruited them to be in a group with me and the name of the group was 
uh, essence, E-S-S-E-N-C-E, -E essence, in harmony, of course. <laughs> and then I set out recruiting musicians because I, I was learning to read. I was learning to play. Um, I like talking shop, and I knew a lot of musicians, so I think I recruited Lloyd Richardson, Greg Williams on bass, uh, Russell Williams on guitar. He's now, what's Russell's name? I, he has a, 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 oh, wow, Russell plays reggae. Yeah, yeah. He's the reggae king, and he's from Chester, Pennsylvania. Tough Lion, that's his name, Tough Lion. And uh, you have to look for Tough Line. Google him. His music is everywhere. Oh, He's yeah, the I reggae see, queen. I, tough, tough Line, Ty, you know Tough yeah. Line. Yeah, reggae king. Yeah, that's my brother. They're my brothers. Lloyd Richardson, Greg, Russell, Porter. Porter was on drums. Columbus Cooper on uh, saxophone. And um, I remember there was someone named Fareed, Fani. He played keyboards. He's now an imam here in uh, Chester really? at one of the mosques, yes. And he reminded me, I was your first keyboard player. I said, I remember we used to call you Fonny. <laughs> but um, I wanted to recruit musicians and recruit vocalists and put that together. I was only 13, but somehow I had an idea of what to do and how to do it. And I, we were supposed to be the second comings of the Supremes. I picked out patterns. I drew my own patterns. I sewed the gowns. I went to the clubs and I said, listen, we'll take 650 or we'll take the door. And the club owners would look at me like I was crazy. <laughs> they were like, we ain't paying you 650. Sorry, right, we'll, we'll do the promotion. You ain't got to do none of that. You got the food, you got the liquor. We'll take the 650 or we'll take the door. Yeah. They'd say, nah, y'all can have the door. Okay, cool. But he didn't think I was smart enough to put a counter on the door. So I put somebody on the door with a counter. And I told the musicians, and David Dixon, David Dixon was always a part of it also. We, uh, we rehearsed at his house on third floor. We, had, we were stepping, everything was way in order. I couldn't find a mentor to, to put a stamp of approval on my idea of what was professional. So what we did at rehearsal, what I suggested, um, and everybody was able to pass their opinion, they seemed to think that it would work, or they added what they wanted to, and we, we worked it out together. Yeah. And uh, Essence became a very popular group. And I remember at that first club, I wish I knew which club it was so I could let him know, <laughs> but we did the promotion. We were just, I think we were in early high school, maybe ninth grade. And um, it was different back then. It was different. It was it was different back then. You probably couldn't get a ninth grader in no clubs nowadays to yeah. do anything. Yeah. You know what I mean? It just yeah. it just was a different time. And nobody asked me how old I was or are you in a union? I didn't I, I started hearing things about oh there's unions, you gotta be in the union. I just ignored all that foolishness. I figured if you were good enough, yeah, they'll let you in. Yeah. <laughs> so and I knew we were good. Yeah. So um everybody in the group in essence, sang lead vocals and sang background vocals. It wasn't about the Kathleen Prattis show. I wanted people to know how much talent there is here. Yeah. And I still I still feel that same way in my heart. They have to know how much talent there is there, here. There is, there is a lot of talent in Chester. Um, of all kinds. Spoken I, uh, yes, word, all, jazz. All, all, kind of, all kind of stuff. I yeah. just don't, I think, I think people don't view Chester as the melting pot that it is. Wow. Because it's it's more you know people in Philly look at Chester oh, that's Chester, but 
previously Chester was the place that we as people when it was time to get out of the city. Yeah. But we, we didn't go we didn't go nowhere else. We went to Chester. Yeah. Because that was uh, that was our suburbs. That yeah. was suburbs that we could have, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. So yes. you know, and I'm I'm gonna let T get it. T go ahead and get a question in it, because you know I can talk forever. Go ahead and get a question in, sis. Well, I kinda lost my question. That was a beautiful story. <laughs> <laughs> um well I know you like Chester and all that and you grew up there. What made you go across seas? Well, um to 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 answer your first question. I could find a mentor here. So I listened to the radio and I soaked it up, whatever I could hear. It wasn't, uh, I wasn't able to find people who were singing R&B and pop. And um, so I studied as much classical music as I could because I, I'm not, I don't have that hollering and screaming tr uh, kind of voice. I never did that in church. We, we sang, even then we sang more in a classical way. And with Louise Barnes Johnson at Chest at Douglas Junior High School, we sang Handel's Messiah. And Miss um, Johnson was more about training the voice to do whatever it needed to do. Not to sing any particular kind of music, but to train the voice to sing. So the uh, technique of singing became my priority since I could not find a mentor that could answer questions like, what do you do to sing with background? How do you get from the level you're on to the next level? I mean, I had many questions, but I didn't have anyone to ask. So I, I hope I answered your first question. Your next question is, what in the world made me go overseas? Well, I had worked with Norman Harris for a number of years. Norman was a contractor for me and Sherry Wilson Butler. We did a lot of background sessions. I had been an artist with Soul Soul Records with True Example. We still have two songs on the internet. They're, they're all over the world, As Long As You Love Me and Love Is Finally Coming My Way. And uh, that group was from Chester. The group was called The Signs of Times. And when Norman found them through Leon Bean, who was their manager at the time, I was working at Society Hill Sound at Second and Walnut in Philadelphia with Mike Nice. Mike Nice, I found Mike Nice at 13 when it, uh, we went to visit colleges and we went to Chester, uh, I'm sorry, Cheney University. And he was the audiovisual professor. And when we went to his room as a class, it was the eighth grade class at Douglas. We were exploring whether or not we were going to college, but there was no question whether I was going to college. My uncle was one of the first black professors of the University of Pennsylvania. My family told you when you could, took the bottle out of your mouth, you're going to college, <laughs> so there was no question. But when I went, I always wanted to make sure if I went to college that I was going to study something that I was going to be good at. Yeah. My mom was a school teacher. My Mine dad. Too. Mine too. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. What did yeah. your mom teach? Uh, she taught elementary. Wow. For twenty-five nice. years. Yeah. And uh, do you remember the school she taught at? Oh yeah, I remember all the school she taught at. Oh she, wow. Uh, they weren't here in Chester. They were in DC. Oh wow. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. I remember you told yeah. your friend DC. Well, we had a school here called Dewey Man. And one day, Chester High School, or part of Chester High School's main building burned down. And the junior high schools had to share their day with um, some of the high school students. We were, we were in split sessions, that's what they called it. So some of us went to school in the morning from like seven in the morning till 12.30, one o'clock in the afternoon. And then the other half of the students went to school from 1.30, 1 o'clock, 1.30 in the afternoon till four or five o'clock in the evening. 
until they could build another building to take up the slack from the part of Chester High that burned down. Anyway, um, I remember that we went to, to the audiovisual room and when the class finished asking questions, they, we were lined up by height and I was always tall, so I was in the back. And as they were led out of the room by the teacher, um, I doubled back because <laughs> I, I saw real, real to real recorders and microphones and that kind look. You, I know I you, you, you see a, you see a mic and you see a mic. You a real artist. You I see a mic. I, I I can't resist. I just I, have I to couldn't. Find out what's going I on? I couldn't. I was thirteen. I walked over to the gentleman and put out my right hand and I said, "Hi, my name is Kathleen Prattis. Do you record any vocalists? Because I can blow." <laughs> he said, my name is Mike Nice. Uh, yes, I do record vocalists. And if your mom and dad would allow you to, to or bring you up to my home, I live with my mom and dad, I'll record you. And um, he gave me his name and address. He wrote everything down. And I hurried up out of the room and caught up with the group. And I'm thinking, my mom is not going to let me go to this white man's house up in the Northeast. This is not going to happen. <laughs> How am I going to pull this off? Right. Then I thought about Mr. Johnson, Leroy Johnson. That was sweet on my mom. I said, okay, so if I could convince Mr. Leroy that this is a good idea for him to get my mom's car and drive me to Northeast Philadelphia and get a recording, that's my first step. And that's just how it happened. I convinced Mr. Leroy to drive me, and he convinced my mother that it was a good thing. And that kicked it off. That kicked, that it, kicked off. it off. Mike now, recorded me for from 13 to 15 at his house, and he was the first one to tell me, when you record somewhere with anyone, never leave without a copy of what you just there you did. Go. There you go. Yes. That, that's, that's a lesson for a lot of artists that, I don't know why they let other people have their music. I never, yep. that's, yeah, but that's the great first lesson that you should learn as a recording yeah. artist. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, Miss Cat. This because I love you. T asked you, what made you go to the Netherlands? Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> got so, it's, it's, this is why I love you, well, though. This is why I love you, Miss Cat, because. Norman you know, was my producer, and Norman was com steadily is convinced. This Nor Norman who? Norman Harris. Okay, Norman Harris. Yeah, yeah, Norman, when True Example disbanded, Norman said, I still want you to, to work with me, Kat. So he said, from now on, you're going to be my artist. And he subcontracted me to do vocals. Um, I, I was working, I cut my chops in Sigma. But I was working in every major recording, recording studio in the area. Okay, and for people that don't know, that's Sigma Sound. Yes. One of the most major Philadelphia recording studios that there is. If you are a recording artist and you wanted to do something, you went down to Sigma Sound yes. to record your music. Am I right? Yes. Okay. That okay. was the spot. Joe Tarja, Mike Tarja, Gene Leone. Yeah, I, I, I cut with some of the best. The OJs, the Spinners cut there, D.D. Sharp. That there were so many, uh, just about everybody out of the stable of the Sound of Philadelphia cut yeah. in Sigma. Yeah. And um, that's where Barbara, Yvette, and Carla were doing background. Yeah. That's when I asked God, get me in the room. Next thing I know, I'm in the room. I'm in the building. I might not be in the room, but I'm in the building. <laughs> <laughs> so I would see Carla, Barbara, and Yvette coming out of sessions, and I'd say, hey, Norm. What they doing? Who they singing behind? Well, who's recording in that stuff? And Norman used to just, he gave me so much information. And he didn't just want me to be a singer. He wanted me to know the business yeah. of the business. Yeah. 
So um, I started meeting Bobby Eli. Bobby became a good friend of mine, still is to this day. T. Conway, Ron Tyson, Alan Felder. I just met so many people that were so kind and, and generous, not just with uh, offering me sessions, but uh, uh, they became my mentors. They were the mentors that I had been searching for all this time. And even though they weren't all vocalists, they taught me, I was also a musician. So we had a rapport that they didn't have with many females. There was mostly um, uh, guys that were around. So anyway, Norman kept telling me, Kat, you gotta start writing. I said, Norman, I can't write. Bobby and Bobby Eli and Vinnie Barrett. Vinnie was one of the few females that was around. And um, Bobby and Vinnie, are, I said, they're so clever. Their words, life is a three-ring circus. <laughs> Who's, <laughs> I, I just, there's no way in the world that I could compete with that. Norman kept saying, you've sung a million songs. You, you started with Burt Bacharach and Hal David and, yeah. and, and Dionne Warwick. That's, yeah. that's where I started at 8 and 13 years old. That's what I was listening to, Della Reese. Oh, yeah. I would, that's oh, yeah. where I, I learned to really be a singer from the classic, Nancy Wilson. I wanted to be a crossover artist. I didn't want to be pegged into a gospel artist right. or an R&B artist right. or pop artist. Right. I wanted to have the skills to use my voice to change from one genre to another yeah. so that when I started as a lead vocalist that I could cross over. It was important. And, and people, it is still important for you to have crossover potential. It is. You don't go just for one area. Yeah. And um, you can take a gospel song and go country, and you can turn it R&B. There are different ways to bring it over to different genres. Right. So don't go for one genre. You want to make real money, good money? You want to spread over. what it is you yeah. do? Make sure that you use your voice to cross over. Yeah. Don't put me in a box. Yeah. So, I, I, And I'm getting to the answer. I really am. <laughs> <laughs> it's taking a minute, but I'll get there. <laughs> So anyway, Norman kept telling me, you got to write. You got to write, Cat. You done sang a million songs. You can't tell me you can't write. So I, I, um, I was working at the Walnut Street Theater as the receptionist. And um, I, on my way in one day, I saw a father and a son. The son couldn't have been more than 10 years old. And they were picking through the trash at Ninth and Walnut in Philadelphia looking for breakfast. And um, somehow this, the lyrics to this song came in the, the music came, I, I wrote the music and the lyrics, it's called We the People. And I wrote out the lead sheet and I took it to Norman and I sang the melody to him and he said, this is, this is better than we are the world. This is, this is a standard. He loved my first song. I couldn't believe it. And he said, um, I'm taking this to Clive Davis. You, Clive gotta hear this song. This See? song will be down forever. Yeah. And um, he wanted. He said, let's set it up to record it. I said, well, I've been working with Walter Kahn out of Queen Village Recording Studio. Maybe I can set up with him or I can call Mike. Mike can do it at 416 over in Camden or at 2nd and Walnut. I don't even know if Society Hills Down is still there. So um, Walter Kahn agreed to do the session. Norman said he was going to pay for it. And Friday night, my manager, who was Norman Harris's best friend, Henry Terrell, he picked me up and we went to Norman's house. I showed him the lead sheet. Norman did a chord chart. He said, Cat, I really would like to be down with this song. Norman, you can have the whole song. If it wasn't for you, 
this salt would never have been. So he said, no, 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 I just want a piece of the salt. So we never discussed percentages, but Norman, Henry were the two of the most important people. Henry took me everywhere. I don't have any horror stories about my time in the music business. They treated me like I was their little sister See, that's, that's and more. That's completely different than what you hear on a regular basis. Yeah. I, I was I was picked up and taken to the studio most of the time. Yeah. And I was told when it was time to go, I was not the one to determine that, but Norman made sure that I knew or whoever the producer was whose session I was on, they would say, Cat, call Henry. It's time for you to go home. I said, why well, I got to go home? So just because you're the youngest one in here, you think? <laughs> so, But they always made sure I got home safely and that I got to and from any studio that I was going in. Anyway, Friday night, Henry picked me up. We went to Norm's. We did the chord chart. I told Norman whatever percentage he wanted he could have. Uh, basically, I think we split it three ways. I gave Norman a third, Henry a third, and I had a third. And um, so went home Saturday. Oh, and Norman had a weak heart. Norman said, um, uh, I said, Norman, I can uh, order your medicine from the pharmacist where we are. Do you want me to get it tomorrow and bring it up? And he said, no, no, I'll get it on Sunday. So okay. Come down for the session. Saturday night. Um, Norman had a heart attack and passed away while, while we were talking on the phone. It, it, was, it was devastating, and, and, and not, not even so much about my first song. He yeah. was my friend, yeah. and I loved him. For sure. He was one of the most talented guitar players of this century. Yeah. And he was one of the most decent men in the music business. Definitely. You could trust him. If he said something out of his mouth, he followed up. And um, I completely lost that the session was the next day until I think Donald Robinson called. And Donald said, if you need somewhere to do the session, you can bring everybody to my house. He was living in Eastwick. And I had um, arranged with Norman for Jimmy Ellis from the Tramps to do the, the preamble, which was the, entrant, uh, the intro to the song. And um, Jimmy said, I'll be there and I'll bring my family. and." I wasn't sure that I could even do the session, but it we did the session at Donald's house. Donald got the chord chart from Norman, and he played all of the instruments through his synth, and I did lead vocals, and Jimmy Ellis did lead vocals, and we got through the song. And for a couple of years after that, they had a memorial service for Norman, and our song, We the People, is in the book from the memorial service. Now, just a year before that, Norman was in charge of the memorial service for um, the person that wrote The Greatest Love of All, Linda Creed. Yeah. Linda Creed had passed away from breast cancer, and Norman was in charge of her memorial service. Yeah. Here we are a year later, and we're doing that. Norman's memorial yeah. service. I had moved to the Netherlands. I met a professor here uh, that was from the Netherlands. He courted me for about a year and a half and then sent me and my daughter tickets to come, and when my daughter and I flew to Holland, he proposed, I accepted. And I, I had no more outlets. No one stepped forward to say, well, I'll give you that lead vocal contract yeah. that you've been wor working towards. Right. I, want, I, was, I thought, I'm next at South Soul yeah. for a lead vocal contract. For sure. But instead, I got a meeting with Jonathan Black, who was uh, uh, Teddy Pendergrass's agent, um, asking me if I wanted to sing background for Teddy. And I said, listen, 
I know who Teddy is, and I know who Teddy gonna be. <laughs> but I don't plan on being in somebody's background for no. the rest of my career. Yeah, I've been in the group already. I've been in two groups. I started one, and I joined one. Right. I can do more yeah. than that. Yeah. I want to be heard. I want to be known. I want my name out there. I want people to know I've been working very hard here around this town. So as much as I appreciate the offer, thank you, but no thank you. Then I, I married Vince, and I, my daughter and I, we moved to the Netherlands. I, I th had a baby in the first year, was teaching at the American School of The Hague. I was teaching band and choir. Um, the first night I was there, I said, where do the musicians go? <laughs> and my husband pointed the direction, and I walked in, and there's the top group out of the Netherlands called the Golden Earring. I've been driving all night, my hands wet on the wheel. Radar Love is their biggest hit. I walk in there, Cesar Seiderweig, he's the drummer for the Golden Earring. I said, put my hand out. Hi, I'm Kathleen Prattis. And he said, hi, I said, I'm from Philly. I just got here. Where, what happens here? Where do you, how do you make something happen over here? <laughs> so uh, he introduced me to, to some musicians. And when he said, well, what kind of music do you sing? Tell me a I just start hitting something. <laughs> you play, I take voicemail very seriously also. <laughs> if I call you and you don't answer the phone, it don't be surprised. I would say, used to be a time in my life when we were lovers. You ain't leave no message like that for me. <laughs> you called me yesterday. I ain't get no message. You answered the phone. I, I ain't get no message. I ain't get no voicemail. I ain't get none of that. I just, I just got to call me Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> it's too late, 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 late to try to run back. Now, <laughs> anyway, I will leave a tune in somebody's voicemail. So, um, anyway, I went there to the Netherlands for love, and it was a conscious decision. I thought, since nobody stepped forward to help me get to a lead vocal contract here, maybe I should do what a lot of black Americans have done go to Europe where I know nobody. I don't have any relatives. I don't have, they don't know me. I have no reputation. They, I, I, it was a proving ground again. It was yeah. a proving ground. Yeah. And I said, if I can make it somewhere that I did not grow up, where they don't know my name, they yep. don't know my family, that yep. I, I don't have no connections. If I can make it there, then that will build my confidence so that I know I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing in yeah. life. Amen. And that's what I did. I put, Cesar said, let me introduce you to, to, to Ruth Jacot. And Ruth was the, the contractor for most of the vocalists in the Netherlands. And she was the only other black woman I think I ever met in the Netherlands besides uh, people in my neighborhood. I had some friends from Lesotho. And um, Ruth got me on a, a World Press photo. I was doing TV at the, uh, um, at the Ahoy. They were paying well. They give you a bouquet of flowers every time you get finished a show. Every time. Every I, time. I did an Anita Baker, um, You Better Watch Your Step. They, it was called the Sound Mix Show. And they cut my hair like Anita Baker. I had an outfit like Anita Baker, and they needed me. I know the kind of pain you offer. <laughs> I hit Anita Baker. <laughs> and... I did not win, but they just never stopped talking about me. And there was no social media, there were no cell phones, and I was hoping to find a producer that I would record with, and Cesar opened a music school, and he asked me to teach vocals. So I did, I was still teaching at 
the American School of the Hague, and I taught, how do you sing with a band? How do you sing with a group? How do you find a place to perform? Yeah. How did, so I taught all the things I had questions about yeah. as a young person in Chester. And I had so many students that come in, a lot of guys that I was teaching, because you don't have to be a guy to teach a guy how to sing or how to interact with musicians or yeah. other vocalists. In no actuality, they say, they say most of the time, men take better direction from women. So I had, I had a wonderful group of students, and um, I was so glad that it was called the music station where, the, where I was giving lessons. Anyway, that, that love for my husband was what brought me to the Netherlands, and when our relationship broke up, I separated from him me and my kids, um, came back to the States, and um, I had some medical issues that needed to be corrected, but before they were corrected, it got worse. And I had surgery in 2006, and that surgery went pretty good, but I was having complications. But then in 2010, I got hit by a car on a bicycle. Oh. And I was working a nine to five, taking care of two kids instead of one. And um, I went out on disability leave for a while, and I wasn't able to get the accommodations I needed to keep on working. So, um, my disabilities became much more complicated and I came out permanently. And I just, something inside of me just kept telling me, you're not done yet. Mm. Well, see, well, hold on, hold on, because I, I, I know, I know, no, you're not done yet. <laughs> so, but listen, I, I want to take a quick break because you, you, just, you just told us an infinite amount of information about your history from Chester to the Netherlands. You speak Dutch? Yep, explain fluent Nederlands. That yeah. means I'm fluent in Dutch. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. See, I went to school with international kids. A lot of my friends are Dutch, so I'm, I'm like, yeah, you speak Dutch? Really? Yeah. I don't know no Dutch, but I, yeah, I'm always. Well, it I'm took me almost two years. My daughter learned it in like two weeks. She was seven years old when we got there. So she's but fluent I'm, in Dutch too, huh? She's fluent in Dutch, English, German, Spanish, French. Mm. Um, well, she learned Spanish here. But yeah, my daughter's name is Jada. And uh, she shout just had Jada. my first granddaughter. She's six months old. Shout Kaya. out to the grandbaby. Definitely shout out yeah. to the grandbaby. Listen, we're going to take a quick break. Sure. Remember, family, you call us with your comments, questions at 844-844-1244. Again, that's 844-844-1244. You can also email us at jimmybondspodcast at gmail.com. Again, it's jimmybondspodcast at gmail.com. It's J-I-M-M-Y-B-O-N-D-S podcast at gmail.com. You'll listen to Jimmy Bond's podcast on Philadelphia Radio at Sonic Artist Cafe, we are interviewing the lovely Miss Cat Fontaine. She is killing it, letting us know so much about her history, family. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Michael from Upper Darby. This is Jimmy's Ball's Podcast on Every Darby Radio. Is it okay? I said it's the Michael. It is okay, all right, yeah. This is Reverend CC Chicken Wing. And I love listening to the Jimmy Ball's Podcast. Insightful, thoughtful words that uplift the people Bring up knowledge to the people. That's the brother Jimmy Bonds right there. You can reach out to the brother too at the Jimmy Bonds Podcast at gmail.com. This is Reverend CC Chicken Wink. Uh, yeah, uh, is the mic still on? Is it on? Okay, I'm sure. And 
and welcome back, family. Jimmy Bond's podcast, Philadelphia Radio. Remember, you can call us with your comments and questions at 844-844-1244. Again, it's 844-844-1244. You can also email us at jimmybondspodcast at gmail.com. Again, it's jimmybondspodcast at gmail.com. It's J-I-M-M-Y-B-O-N-D-S podcast at gmail.com. And again, family, we are live at Sonic Artist Cafe interviewing the lovely Miss Kat Fontaine. She is dropping some knowledge, letting us know about her history, her career, even even her time she had to go overseas to let her talent shine. But family, um, my brother Ty got a question, so I'm going to let Ty throw the question. Go ahead, Ty. Miss yes. Kat, it's a pleasure meeting you here at the legendary Sonic Artist Cafe. Your experience working with uh, Gamble and Huff, how was that? Well, I've never worked directly with Mr. Gamble or Mr. Huff, but I've met Mr. Gamble many times. Um, I was in, Mr. Leroy took me to the studio the first time at 309 South Broad Street. That first visit, um, I I guess I was still about the 13 or 14 years old, and he took me to 309. He had to pick up some new material, some albums that he needed to do the lead sheets for. And when we got there, we parked on Broad Street, and I remember seeing this big Cadillac pull up. This was the first time I think I had seen Bunny Sigler. And it was a long car. <laughs> it was big. <laughs> and it had a lot of fur yeah. on the inside of it. And Bunny got out and he had on, the, uh, had on fur on his shoulders. And all of a sudden we heard a telephone ringing. And the phone was ringing in his car. <laughs> And this this had to be like, oh, gosh, it was almost 70, 1969, 1970. And I heard a phone ringing in a car. (laughs) I thought, this is just, this is, yeah, (laughs) I thought I was in the world, man. This was, (laughs) this was the star kind of stuff that you would expect. And Bunny sent somebody, he had an assistant. He sent that person to the car to pick up the phone. And when the guy came back, he came back with the phone, and it had a cord on it. And the cord was all halfway down the block, and Bunny answered the phone. I thought that was the funniest thing I had ever seen. And um, I later made friends with Bunny when I was at Society Hill Sound with Mike Nice. Mike introduced me to Bunny. He needed somebody to do background vocals. I was 16, and I called Essence. And I called my, he said, you got anybody else at the house that sings like you? And I said, oh, yeah, they ain't at the house. But I got three other girls that can blow. <laughs> I called Hazel, Robin, and LaFonda, and they came up, and we recorded background for Bunny Sigler at 16 oh, years old at Society Hill Sound. Bunny Sigler. Yeah, we became that's really amazing. good friends. Well, I, you know, uh, I, I look, you, you talking about, uh, Ty was asking you about Sound of Philadelphia, but I want to know what it was like working with Joe Frazier. Oh, man. Knockouts. Yeah. He's such a nice... He's, he was such a sweetheart. I mean, before you... you I mean, people don't... A lot of people who don't know this history, they think Joe Frazier was just a boxer. They thought, no. he, just, they thought he was just a boxer. They didn't know he sang. Oh, yeah. As well. Yeah. So when I'm reading, I'm like, Joe Frazier? I remember this. He had a, um, a condo at Society Hill Towers. Um, which was where Society Hill Sound was at 2nd and Walnut. There were three towers, and he had a condo in one of them. And he came down one day to the studio, and he told Mike Nice that he needed some vocalists for Joe Frazier and the Knockouts. He was looking for new vocals. And um, I wasn't old enough to travel. (laughs) So (laughs) I could do a lot of things, but... Mom wasn't not going to let me go out of the country and stuff. I was was only like 16, 17 years old. But he 
before they went out of town, Mike reminded him it would probably be better if you record the songs here first and then hire vocalists to travel with you. So that was my end. <laughs> here I am. And um, he hired me and uh, he had some people of his own. And we recorded vocals for uh, Joe Frazier and the Knockouts. Same. So I got to get to know him and meet him and yeah. go to his place. Yeah. And I mean, 16. I'm I'm hanging out with Joe Frazier. Yeah. Joe Frazier. Joe Heavyweight Frazier. champion Joe Frazier. Joe Frazier. You know, and, and for, for me, just thinking about you 16 years old doing that. I mean, you had a lot of, you had a lot of eye-opening experiences at a very young age. I did. And I was always trying to be careful. I tried to make sure I didn't go places by myself. Yeah. Um, that someone always knew where I was going and yeah. who I was with. Yeah. Um, we got phone numbers. There were no cell phones, but wherever I was, I made sure they had the number where I was going. And I, I didn't make any, um, I wasn't trying to be grown. I was having so much fun just being who I was at the yeah, age was, I was. Yeah, it, was already, it was already there, so no reason to worry yeah. about being grown. So right? I said... They need to know what your phone number is. So you got to tell them what your phone number is or I can't go. <laughs> so, you know, and, and when they had the right intentions, that wasn't a problem. Yeah. And um, also, I met Ira Tucker Sr. from the Dixie Humminbirds. Uh -huh. And he introduced me to Ira Tucker Jr. And he was Stevie Wonder's manager. Yes. So before I went to Delaware State, I was really hoping, well, Lord, I don't... I don't know what direction you're going to take me in. Am I going to Delaware State or am I going to California? Because Stevie's <laughs> in California. And uh, that's where Ira Tucker Jr. is. So, but it wasn't to be before Ira Tucker Jr. and I even got to talk on that level. And I had a friend that was working with Stevie. Steve Wise was already working um, with Stevie Wonder. So um, I thought it would be a smooth transition. But when Norman came in the room, and Mike said, Norman Harris is looking for a female vocalist. Um, he wants her to do background with this group. And as soon as he finds somebody to do the background parts, he's signing them to Sal Soul Records. I was like, what? <laughs> you ain't had to tell me twice. I said, can I meet him? He said, yeah, sure. So they had a meeting set up, and I met Norman. I can't even remember who else was in the room. I was so enamored with the fact that I was in the room with Norman Harris. And he explained to me the group uh, was from Chester. And I said, well, I'm from Chester. Well, they're called the Signs of Times. Oh, I heard of that group. He said, yeah, but they're missing a female vocalist. And uh, I said, well, um, do the females only sing background vocals? Or, and, and the guy, his name was Robert Owens. Um, he later changed his name to Cubby St. Charles. Robert sang the lead vocals. But all of the female vocalists, all of the females sang lead vocals and background vocals. But the emphasis was put on Robert Owens because his nickname was Cubby. And Teddy was out in the public at that time. And he was, Rob is so talented. He sounded so much like Teddy Pendergrass, but he had his own style. Yeah. And... Um, when I remember meeting with Leon Bean at the time and um, Norman Harris, and I explained to them, listen, I can sing lead vocals or background vocals, but what's important to me is that if I'm gonna sign with a group, I have to be guaranteed to sing lead vocals. I know you need a background vocalist. You want the girls to sound real cute and real good I'm behind the right, mm -hmm. girls. Got shake a little this, shake a little that. Little I ain't Johnny got no girls. problem. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, but 
I, there's more to me. I did, this, this can't be the Robert Owens show. There's more to me than just background vocals. I, yeah. I want to do lead vocals and I want to do vocal arrangement. Because to me, when you can create how a vocal should go out of nowhere, that was vocal arrangement. But nowhere on the albums, I wasn't seeing that people were getting their credits for doing vocal arrangement. Yeah. And I knew I was getting pretty good at it. So I wanted to get better at it. And I wanted to get better at it under Norman's name. So <laughs> he said, okay, we can arrange that. You can do some of the lead vocals. I said, okay, cool. And everything, the contracts were um, set up that way. I signed and I became a South Soul recording artist. That's what I'm talking about. Hey, this is Michael from Upper Darby. Listen to the Jimmy Boss Podcast on Every Fair Radio. Welcome back to the Jimmy Boss Podcast on Philadelphia Radio. We thank you for listening. Remember, family, you can call us at 844-844-1244. Again, it's 844-844-1244. You can also email us at jimmybondspodcast at gmail.com. Again, it's jimmybondspodcast at gmail.com. That's J-I-M-M-Y-B-O-N-D-S podcast at gmail.com. I know, uh, Lucy, I know you got a question. Go ahead and jump in there with your question, sis. So, Kat, what would you say your... It doesn't have to even be necessarily your career, but what would you say your proudest moment moment to date would be, whether it's your career or your personal life? Proudest moment. Um, my proudest moments, wow. I have two. One was when Benny Barksdale Jr., the sax player, who's a dear friend of mine, I love him to death. Benny introduced my voice to Butch Ingram last year. I met Benny years ago, but Benny didn't know who I was when I ran into him last year at D Cafe in Derby. And he he did what a lot of people do. He, we exchanged numbers, and Benny said, oh, call me. So I called him, and he didn't answer the phone. And uh, I, I think I sang, um, people say we look good together. In their eyes, you're my ideal. You got so many things going for you, but there's one thing that can't be concealed. Cause my heart won't lie. It's no good to even try. Don't ask me why, my baby, cause my heart won't lie. Oh, my heart won't lie. It's no good to even try. Don't ask me why, no, 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 cause my heart won't lie. And Benny played that for Butch. Oh, you, I, you just gonna you just gonna go on to to finish the story <laughs> after, yeah. after singing like that? Cause that that was that was I got chills over here, like no like no joke. Like I mean I'm a sucker for a woman who can <laughs> sing anyway. I, I'm a definitely a sucker for a woman who can sing. I really am. But oh wow! You you sounded amazing. Well, they should have never called it voicemail. I take that very <laughs> seriously. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead and finish. So anyway, he told Butch Ingram, oh, you got to hear this girl. This girl, she left me a message, and she's singing and stuff. And um, Butch Ingram told Benny to tell me to call him. 
And I said, Benny, I don't call producers. I've been rolling with producers since I was like 13 years old. I know how they roll. You can't call them on the phone. They, they, they got three, four modes. They're getting ready to go in the studio or they in the studio and they ain't answering the phone for neither one of them. Or they get ready to come out of the studio and they still ain't answering the phone. Yeah, that's <laughs> <laughs> Or they with their they with their family and they still ain't answering the phone. And Penny said, Yeah, but they got we got text messages and stuff now. And I said, Yeah, that's true. Well, let me send Butch a text. So I sent a text and I said, um, hi, this is Kathleen Prattis. Benny Barksdale Jr. told me you wanted me to call you. Is this a good time? And he immediately responded, yes, but I have a session at, at 5 o'clock. And it was 444. If, if what I had learned wasn't still true, he would have picked up the phone and called me when I texted him. Right. But his brain was already on his session. So he only had enough brain left at that time to give me to say, yes, but I have a session at 5 o'clock. So I said, well, I'm not going to let this pass. I kind of know who Butch Ingram is. I met him when I was in Sigma. When Norman pulled me out of session, he said, this is Butch Ingram, this is Barbara Ingram. And I was like, wow. And the Ingram brothers, there were, there were a lot of them. And they had a group of their own. There was enough Ingrams to make a group all by themselves. They didn't need no outside folks. I and they were from Camden. So I couldn't replace his sister. I was in the next room. I couldn't get in her room. So I figured, well, I got to figure out a way that I can be open for what he is intending to propose to me. Yeah. And I got to be open to receive it, and I got to be ready to, to respond in a way that will encourage him to invite me back in the room. So I thought the best thing I should do is pray. So I took a moment, and I said a prayer, and I said, God, I got about 11 minutes <laughs> to talk to Butch Ingram because he still needs five minutes to get his brain back to where it was before he said, yeah, call me. So I said, okay, open my ears, open my brain, make me receptive, give me the words I need, and, and, and tell me to shut up when it's time. So I called him, Mr. Ingram, this is Kathleen Prattis, and he said, I did my homework on you. I ain't know what that meant. <laughs> Not really. And he said, you were down with Norman Harris. I know what that means. Mm. And uh, I, I like Norman Harris very much. He was a very respectable person in the business. And I think it was my reputation having worked so hard with Norman yeah. and being in Sigma and yeah. Alpha and Virtue and KGEM. And he said, I, wa I was wondering if you'd like to do about four or five songs. I'd like to get your voice and your picture and your sound back out there. You should have been to did something. I said, Mr. Ingram, that's very kind of you. I'd love to do that. And we decided that we would get together on November 22nd. I took the high-speed line over from Philadelphia to, to Lindenwald. He picked me up, took me to his house. We pull up in the driveway. I had sent him my bio. I tried to hit him over the head with everything I had that I thought was going to convince him to, to really give me a good shot when right. I got there. Right. And I said, I sent my bio. I sent pictures of me when I was singing on, doing the Anita Baker thing in Holland. I sent pictures of when I was on stage with Casey and the Sunshine Band and Sister Sledge was there. Um, when I was doing something at the Ahoy, I just, I tried to hit him over the head with everything I had. Because I wanted this, I wanted this so bad. I had had 
um, at that time, I think it was one or two surgeries. I had one September 2019. Then the, what they did in this first surgery came a loose. And in July, I had to report to the surgeon, something's wrong. And he said, yeah, it came open. We have to cut you open a second time. So August 5th, 2020, after the pandemic had started and you had to be real careful about doing stuff and yeah. going to hospitals and here I am getting cut open for a second time. So um, I had the second surgery and um, it wouldn't heal. Something was wrong. It, it just wouldn't heal. And I asked, I told the surgeon, I, I, I think I need to be cut open again. Something is not right. And he said, no, Ms. Prattis, I don't think so. So I waited like seven months. And I, I know I heal fast, but I didn't. And the second surgeon decided to go back in. And I had the third surgery on June 8th, 2021. I had three surgeries in 16 months where I had to be cut open. And I asked God, just get me back on my feet. I even took my 8 by 10s to my surgeon. I said, this is who I am. I'm not this girl with this hole in her belly. Yeah, this yeah. is who I am. You got to get me back to who I am. Right. And um, he was a fan of the Sound of Philadelphia. And I was my consult with, uh, um, with Dr. Morris. His name is John Morris at Penn. My consult with John Morris, uh, T. Conway called. <laughs> I said, do you know the song 10% by Double Exposure? And he said, yeah. I said, do you know who wrote it? He said, yeah, I think that's T. Conway. I said, hold on. T, go ahead. Doctor, <laughs> doctor, doctor is listening. And he said, is that T. Conway? I said, yeah, this is my partner. I've known him since I was a kid. And he just asked me to be a 50-50 songwriting partner with him. So, And T said something like, look, you got to get Cat back on her feet. <laughs> We've been waiting for Cat for a long time. We got plans with Cat. You yeah. got to get up, back up on our feet. Yeah. So he said, oh, okay, okay. And uh, so we did surgery on June 8th. And Dr. Morris met me in the waiting room, and he said, we had to cut out of you everything we put in you in the first and second surgery. Same. And uh, if you had not asked to be cut open the third time, you wouldn't be here in three to six months. There was so much infection in your belly that if I cut out that last piece, I had to leave one piece because it was so incorporated. If I didn't, if I cut it out, it would have been a hole in your flesh that wouldn't have been able to close without plastic surgery. So I'm very grateful to Dr. Morris because after that third surgery, I was back on stage the last Friday in July of last year saying, meet me on the moon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, it was a beautiful thing. A yeah. lot of people from Chester who had never seen me perform live or even knew that I was a professional vocalist, they were in the room. And um, Jazz Jordan was kind enough to let me come on to her stage. It was the last night of the club. The club was closing. And she let me sing the, the Meet Me on the Moon. And two of my homeboys, Joe Kane and Scoop Kane, were there, Scoop plays harmonica and trombone, Joe plays flugelhorn and trumpet. They were playing with me, Brett Jolly was on bass, Daryl Brown from Wilmington, Delaware, he was on keyboards. And um, most of these musicians had been here in Sonic Artists rehearsing with me. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it come full circle, huh? It was, it was beautiful, it man. It was circle. beautiful. I mean, you, you, got a, you got a story of, 
of perseverance. I guess your intuition as well told you that you needed to have an additional surgery to get you there. Yeah. And thank God you did. And, and then I God met Butch. You, and then you met Butch. Then I met Butch. When Benny told Butch about me, and Daryl had taken me to D Cafe, we were together. And um, when I, I talked to him, and he said, I want you to do these four or five songs. Don't, don't do them like you hear them on YouTube or wherever you're going to write the lyrics down. Just write the lyrics down. Just do it like, do it like you do, right? Yeah. I showed up for the session, and um, I'm in the driveway, and I see a car with a New Jersey tag, and the last three letters are K-A-T. Oh. And I said, Butch, yep. whose car is that? And he said, oh, that's my wife's car. Your wife's name is Cat? He said, no, my wife's name is Sharon. <laughs> I said, well, what? Then, then why did y'all put my name on your wife's car tag? I mean, how does that happen? He's like, oh, yeah, I read your bio. You said everybody calls you Cat. I said, they just kind of always did call me Cat. So that was kind of strange. And we go in the studio and... I said, what you want to do? And I do the first song, and he stops me and says, I don't think you know how good you are. I said, Mr. Ingram, I've been doing this a very long time. I'm not here to practice. I'm yeah. here to get a hit. Yeah. I'm not here to waste your time. Yeah. Time was money at Sigma and any other studio. Time is money every just, time you go in the studio. Just because we at your house, time is still it's money. Still you money. still got to turn the lights on and yeah, the electricity and the board yeah. and everything. Still got to do so it. So I ain't playing. It's my job to knock your socks off. So yeah. if they come and lose, pull them jokers up and press that button so we can get this <laughs> job done. So he, he just laughed and, and we finished the first song and... Just as we were going into the second song, he said, look, I need you come in here for a minute. I know I told you this was going to be an instrumental CD. And um, I was going to release it in December, but um, I changed my mind. Really, you changed my mind. Um, I'm going to put your name on this CD, and I'm going to release it worldwide. Mm. A Butch Ingram. Butch Ingram. So... That was one of my proudest moments, and and that, and that's what I was saying. Lucy asked you, "What was your what was your biggest accomplishment?" And you know, and here's the thing: <laughs> this is what I tell people all the time, right? It doesn't matter how old you are, what you've done in your career beforehand. There's still a piece of us that wants that wants to achieve a certain thing. Absolutely, you want to work with certain people. You want to be. You want to get to a certain place, and even through the through because they're not trials and tribulations. There's small victories to larger victories, you know? Mm -hmm. And I felt like even just listening to your story, the biggest part of it was a lot of those small victories that you had before, even even the yeah. small victory with the doctors. Yeah. Even then, that was a small, that was that's a large victory yeah. now. But I'm saying just in your grand scheme, in your yeah. way, how you how you feel about yourself. Absolutely. That was a very important step in your career. Absolutely. And and here it is. It was the most recent one. Yeah. So it's so right now, as as we, as we talked a lot about your past and what you've done, you really have reached a place for yourself recently. Yeah. That you can say, hey, like, I I did that, you know. Man, I'm still laughing like a teenager when I hear my records coming on the radio. I, I it's it's just as much joy as I had from the beginning. It doesn't it doesn't fade. And it you doesn't. also you also talked about how you had a lot of a lot of positive experiences 
within the industry. And you know, that has happened to a lot of artists. You hear a lot of artists talking about how negative how negative experiences they've had. Absolutely. And she just chews them up and spits them out, you know? Yeah. And just listening to everything you're saying, I I mean, I don't even get the impression that you are, like, you don't have any kind of ill will. You were so, like, I'm just, I just want to get to the the next thing. Whatever I have, whatever God has next for me to do, that's what I want to do. I never had a chance well, I, I probably had a chance to, to look over my shoulder at what I had done, but I've always been so hungry and driven, yeah. and I've had a vision in my head of doing yeah. Broadway and, and, and doing country music and doing pop music, being on TV, like the Carol Burnett Show. I've had so many ideas in my head of, so there was never a place where I got where I said, okay, now I done made it. No, I, I was still hungry. I'm still hungry. Yeah, I was gonna say, I'm like, still you, you, you reaching. Can't use the word. I, you still, yeah, you still are yeah, hungry. Like, absolutely. And and I think you're a testament to to the art of it, the fact that you love the art so much. I do. That I do. There there aren't the small accomplish not small but the accomplishments make you even more hungry. Absolutely. They make She's you still evolving. She she is right. She's, She's still evolving. She's yeah. And I, I think I think that's probably the the biggest thing that I'm noticing sitting here, like listening to you, that you you have really, like your hunger is what drives you. It is. It's what wakes you up in the morning. It is. You know, it's what. And besides your babies, of course, you know, in yeah. life in general. But yeah, you know, that's what wakes you up in the morning. You know. Absolutely. Now listen, I I I know, I know. I hate cutting interviews short, but you you have given us so much, and you said so much. And you know, I w- I wouldn't want to leave or stop doing the interview without you s- you giving us something. Uh, well, I have to tell you the second thing yes. that I'm most proud of. Please, is when I informed my daughter that Butch Ingram had given me the entire CD and he was going to release it worldwide, and I started sending her copies of my songs, and she went to um, the social. I- I'm not sure which site, but she went to it and listened to my album and called me and thanked me for giving up my career to raise my children. See. For me sacrificing the career I was entitled to by somebody. As a 20 year old, it wasn't as important as raising my children. So I put my career aside so that they would have a, a sure footing when they got to be adults themselves. And I figure if my gifts really did come from God, they'll still be there when my kids are able to stand on their own two feet. And for me to get to this point where I turned 65 and Butch Ingram says, I didn't give you the CD. You came in here and opened your mouth and claimed it. (laughs) 65-year-old vocalists don't get lead vocal contracts. He said, they do now. Yeah. So... That's the second thing I'm most proud of hey. is that my daughter Man. thanked me for sacrificing those years to raise she and her brother, Dylan, who I love dearly, My both my kids. I have one grandson by Dylan. His name is Desmond. He's nine, and he's a musician. Uh-huh. He asked for a guitar. He does uh-huh. not know his grandmother was a musician. See. I, on purpose, did not tell See. them. I wanted to know if it was in the blood. It is in the blood. It is in the blood. Uh, it's, no, that's not that's that's not a, a far fetch. No. That's not something they make up. No, it's definitely not in the at blood. all. And my daughter tells me the six month old. She said, "Mom, she is so loud. I think we have another vocalist in the family. Her name is Kaya. 
So, um, but um, I think nothing made me prouder than hearing my daughter thank me. Amen. And that God made it possible that um, my dreams could still come true. I, we just talked about this. <laughs> I mean, but you, but you really, you, you touching so much because as a parent, you know, you, you make sacrifices. Absolutely. You make major sacrifices. You put your dreams on hold. You, you, yep. you do things, you're, you're exhausted most of the time. I thought this was not going to happen. And you're like, yo, I'm, I'm not going to, uh, I'm, I'm never going to be singing again. Like, yep. I'm never going to, you know, and I always say people, as artists, you, you love the stage, not because it's, it's an addiction, but it's what you, it's what you're made to do. Yeah. So why not be in love with something that you well, make Well, I only do? ask God to get me back on my feet and on stage and let me sing and be a blessing to somebody else. And, and I never what, asked and, and for look, fame look or fortune. Now look, look what happened. Though. And I didn't think that that contract thing for vo lead vocal, I didn't think that was going to happen. Listen. And I'm doing my next CD with Butch Ingram. <laughs> Well, what they say though, delayed, <laughs> delayed, not de not denied. Absolutely, you might have been delayed, but you were never denied, and I think that's, that's the right. most important aspect of. of Butch of invited me to do a Tom Bell tribute CD, and I was in the studio two days ago, working with Butch Ingram. Working with Butch Ingram on, on, on a Tom, Tom Bell. Bell tribute CD. It doesn't get much better than that. Miss Cat, um, yeah, we gonna have to first of all. First of all, <laughs> first of all, part some two. Of, yeah, no, we're gonna have to do part two. Part two. We're gonna have to have you back and, and and talk some more with you. I would love if you know if it clears with you to have some of your music um, on our Jazzology show. Oh, I'd love that. If that would be something that you would be up to doing, because absolutely, I, I think it would be fitting. Ty, what you think, bro? Yes, yeah. definitely, yes. Yeah, so and I mean, hopefully by then, Darnell Jordan and I. Darnell's another producer that's working with me now. T. Conway, he's still in my life. He's, we, I'm recording with him. And um, there's, there's so much more to do. Listen, we're going we gonna to bring you back. We're going to have a special interview for, for your, your, new, your new CD coming. Not new CD, of course. For the new music coming out. And my originals. And your originals. I'm writing. I, I want to I have a nice little session on Jazzology talking about your cool. music because it's, it's what it is. We, family, we're sitting here living, living or talking with someone who's been doing this for a while in the industry and she just told us that you know it's not always when you want it that's right it's it's when you're supposed to have it that's and right. you know i think that's a that for me that's a touching thing because you know i'm an artist too so i'm always feeling like i want it right now i want it right now yep. but it, it's it's more vital to wait for those times that you're supposed to have it yeah don't stop it ain't never too late yeah yeah listen my, grand, my granddad played till he was 82, so I, I, I'm right there with you. I know. Yeah. I know. T, you got something you want to say before before we go out? Well, I had another question, but... No, go ahead and ask it. Go ahead and ask it before we, before we do. Go ahead. She has to get recording, so I will say thank you very much. This is a blessing. What do you mean you. she got to get recorded? She's not recording right now. <laughs> she, she, no, go ahead. Go ask your question real quick. Ask your question real quick. Question was, what is your most iconic stage performance? Like, what's the most memorable one that you can remember? That's a good one. Oh, yeah, that was that would be the sound mix show. That was very important to me. I was in the Netherlands, and it was really one of the first times that I got to, I did an interview with Henny Hausman. I got to play several instruments, and then they have this production thing that they put you at the top of a stairway and when the doors open, the smoke comes out and you get to descend the stairs. 
and um, I went from left to right, and um, and the comments of the judges were amazing. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I I really enjoyed doing t TV, and World Press Photo was also something that I enjoyed. I had two bands in Holland. It was, uh, but um, when I I think when I played the Latin Casino and I opened for Gloria Gaynor, I was no more good. <laughs> That was the Latin. That was the place when I was growing up. And we were opening for I Will Survive. So, yeah, that was also very memorable. Very memorable. Absolutely. Definitely. Definitely. Lucy, you want to say something to, to Miss Cat before we go? Well, while we have a moment, I want to thank you for asking me to be here. Oh, you kidding me? It's, uh... You this is like me? my second home, Sonic Artists Cafe. Yeah, we had to we had to do it here. I gotta gotta give a special shout out to my brother Daryl Turner. Absolutely. Sonic Artists Cafe, my brother Orlando back here working the boards. Absolutely. Making it work, making it work. We are definitely definitely appreciative of this this experience right here. But I'm sorry. Go ahead, Lucy. Oh, Miss Cat, thank you so much for coming. Like your story is just so beautiful to hear. But my last question for you, honestly, is like the future of how music is now. Um, what what does what do you see like the future of music now versus how it was when you were starting off? Like, what do you see mu music as, in the future? What does that look like to you? Well, good music is still good music. Good work ethic, work ethic is still good work ethic. You gotta always be ready. They're, the major record companies aren't doing what they used to do. They're not putting out a whole lot of money to sign new artists. A lot of artists are, are, are working on the indie side right now. Mm -hmm. You have to use your contacts the best way you can. But the best thing to do is work hard. Don't stop. Give them more than what they ask for so they'll ask you to come back. Mm -hmm. And if you build up a reputation of being excellent at what you do, you always got a chance. You, you never have to worry about whether or not somebody will invite you to do what it is you love best. Just keep doing it, doing it as much as you can do, and always don't be on time, come early. <laughs> that way they'll come, invite you to the party next time. Make sure that you do all the homework that you can. Know who it is you're gonna see in the studio. Know whose studio it is, and you can do your homework. It's important for you to do the groundwork, even as an indie artist, you have to do your homework and be prepared wherever you go. When somebody invites you, whether you're being paid for hire or whether it's somebody else's project, whatever you put your energy and effort into, you'll have to do your homework and pray. Always help me. Brother Ty, you got something you want to say to Miss Cat before we go? Miss Cat, I thank you for the knowledge that you've given us tonight, and just thank you. Oh, Ty, thank, thank you. It's been my pleasure. I'm so glad y'all asked me. Listen, Miss Cat, um, you know, from the bottom of my heart, I appreciate you coming in. Thank bottom you. Bottom of the team's heart. We, you know, we interview a lot of people, um, and every time we interview, we're always so appreciative of the stories they share. It's hard to share. It's not easy. Um, sometimes it's painful. Sometimes it's joyful. Sometimes it's yeah. in between. Yeah. But to capture your story and capture what, you, what you've been experiencing recently as well as previously, I think that you know you are a living testament to so many people. You're a living testament to other people. <laughs> Shoot, you're, you're a testament for me. You're an example for me. You're an example for Ty. Thank you know, you. my biggest thing is I always tell people don't stop. Don't stop until it's time to go home. Yeah. 
you know? Yeah. And I mean home home. So it's time yep. to be in the box. Don't Absolutely. stop. Absolutely. And, you know, listen to everything that you that you have, <coughs> you know, given us tonight. Um, you know, I'm gonna take I'm gonna hold hold this dear. Hold this very dear to my heart and you know, the team appreciates it. Philadelphia Radio appreciates it. Sonic Artist Cafe. You know, this is just something that I've we've been working on this for a while, right, Brother Turner? We've been working on this for a minute, right? <laughs> For a minute, and and just to even have it have it done this way, I'm I'm so thankful for you. I really really appreciate you. Oh, thank you really so much. It's it's definitely my pleasure, and I'm hoping that whoever might be listening to this, whether it's a parent or whether it's a child, if you can help somebody put down a gun and pick up a mic uh, or pick up an instrument, uh, please consider it because just like I got gifts, my gifts from God, everybody else got their gifts too. Find what your gifts are, and you'll never work a day in your life. <sighs> yeah, ain't that the truth? Now, I'm gonna do this ending. Can you? Can after I do my ending, can you? Can you take us out? Can you take us out with something <laughs> after I do my ending? Can you do that? I'll do my best. Oh, your best? So you are, you you've been doing your best is like I'm, I'm worried. I'm, I'm probably gonna melt in the chair or something. <laughs> but definitely, fan. Remember, you can call us with your comments or questions at 844 1244. Again, that's 844 1244. You can also email us at jimmybondspodcast at gmail.com. Again, it's jimmybondspodcast at gmail.com. It's also, family member, we're still in the COVID-19 pandemic, so please, please, please wear your mask, wash your hands, practice social distancing, mm-hmm. whether you're vaccinated or not vaccinated. Please mm-hmm. don't judge anybody about their status. But family, really, to be honest with you, um, in, all, in all seriousness, um, remember to tell your friends and your family that you love them because Absolutely. you never know when you might get another chance. Absolutely. Thank Miss Kat, Ty, T, Lucy, the whole team. I appreciate y'all, Brother Daryl, Brother Orlando. Appreciate y'all for definitely all of this, making this what it's supposed to be. And um, we're going to end this out with Sister Cat, Miss Cat, doing her thing, doing her thing. Go ahead, take us out, Miss Cat. This is Cat Fontaine. I'm home in Chester, PA. This time, this time, baby, it won't be in and out of love, in and out, baby. This time, this time, baby, it won't be in and out of love, in and out, baby. This time, this time, baby, yeah. Thank you so much, Jimmy. I appreciate your help. Thanks, Ty. It's Catherine. Have a blessed night. Good night. Fam, that's going to wrap the show. We want to thank you for listening to Jimmy Bond's podcast on Philadelphia Radio. We ask you to leave your comments and questions at 844-844-1244. Again, that's 844-844-1244. You can also email us at jimmybondspodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's jimmybondspodcast at gmail.com. That's J-I-M-M-Y-B-O-N-D-S podcast at gmail.com. Now, remember, family, we are still in a COVID-19 pandemic. So please, please, please remember to wash your hands, wear a mask, and practice social distancing. Also, remember to take nothing for granted and value every opportunity you have with your friends, your family, and your loved ones. For in these times, every moment is sacred. So until the next episode, you can find me on Go Hope Road, screaming, stay up, don't sleep in your dreams. I'm Jimmy Bonds, and I'm out. Fight on. Come on. Fight on.